The estimates for migration for 2023, there's another 200,000 people gonna be moving to Australia. Where are they gonna go? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dashlot Insider, where we help you to become a better property investor. And on today's show, I'm joined by Lana Grayson, who is the team leader for our team of property acquisition managers at Dashdot. She's purchased, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars of property herself, plus she leads a team that's doing the same. And she's got some amazing insights from the front line about buying, buying property in the current market, what's actually happening out there, actually happening on the front line. What is, what is it like? How are they buying property successfully in the current market? And there's also five, maybe more, but we'll go with five. I think there's six or seven or eight tips on how you can successfully buy in the current market as well. I'm going to say five because I lost count after five, but there's at least five. Definitely, there's probably a few more as well on how to be a more successful investor in the current environment. So if that is you, if you want to become a better investor, then listen up because this episode is jam-packed full of value, not theoretical value, value from someone who is literally doing this every single day and is leading a team of people who are doing this every single day. So if you want to get better, be a better investor and learn from the best, this is the episode for you. Now, before we get started, make sure you subscribe or make sure you share this with someone, like this, rate, review, do all the good stuff. Whatever you can do, look around you right now, interact with it, subscribe, that'd be awesome. Share it with someone who you know is going to get benefit from this. And make sure that you give us a rating or, or review as well. Love that. And if you've got any suggestions of anything you want to see on the show, just email us podcast at dashdot.com.au. Without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dashdot Insider. Joining me on today's show is Lana Grayson. Lana is the team leader of a whole team, whole cadre of property acquisition managers. Lana, how are you? I'm good, Goose. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you back on. Last time that you were on here was all about you. We were talking about what's your story and about your background. And, but a lot of things have changed since then because you are now the leader of a whole team of property acquisition managers. How's that going? It's it's really cool. I I get to just sort of steer the ship. The guys, the value and the knowledge of my team is amazing. I just make sure... Everyone has what they need. Everyone's well collaborating with one another. Um, and yeah, I just sort of, I sit above and make sure everyone's, everyone's all good, essentially. <laughs> you do it. You, you do, that is the yeah, on. You do a hell of a lot more than just sit above, right? You not only are leading the team, but you're also executing in the team. And I know that. And you, I think you're, you're playing it down a little bit too much because you're executing in the team at, at almost the same level as everybody else in the team, as well as leading and guiding and, and showing away. So, don't don't play it down too much. But for those for those who are listening to this, who might be like, "What's a property acquisition manager? Like, what what do you guys do? T- talk to me about that." It's yeah. So okay. So what a property acquisition manager does when a client starts their journey with Dashdot, they will get allocated a team. So that team is a client account manager. So that is essentially their person that's with them throughout the whole journey, and then they get a property acquisition manager. So a property acquisition manager is someone that guides them through the buying process through their investment process with Dashdot. So we are the people that will come in and we'll go, right, what are we looking for? Let's be super, super specific on what are we looking for? What areas are we going to look for? Make sure, you know, if the clients have any previous investment properties, that's also taken into account to so make sure that we diversify for their portfolio. Um, so we'll really set the strategy with them and then we kick off the search. So 
essentially we have, I mean, property acquisition managers are the client facing roles as such, but we have a huge property team that don't even, even get to, to experience with clients. So we've got um, acquisition analysts that are constantly trolling properties and then the PAMs that will I say Pam, property acquisition manager. <laughs> we talk in code. Little, 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 little insider acronym people like, what's a Pam? A yeah, Pam, yeah, you get an acquisition manager. Um, yeah, shortened to a Pam. Um, but the Pam's job is to go, right, my client, we want to find this and we want to make sure that we find the best possible property. So the analysts will present properties to us, uh, to Pam's, and then we will either accept or reject them. Now, what's super interesting I love it when my guys reject properties internally because it makes sure that our standard is kept as high as possible. We're not bending any areas here. So I love it when the guys reject it and I'm like, oh, let's dig into that. Why did we reject that? You know, this client wants this certain property and and these metrics. It didn't fit the mark. Could it fit the mark? You know, and I love to dig into that, which is pretty cool. Um, Sorry, I'm probably sidetracking a bit, but... No, it's great, yeah. But essentially, so once a, um, a property acquisition manager approves a property uh, internally from our analyst team, we then present that property to the client as an option for their investment. So we then are the person that takes them through all of the due diligence surrounding that property. So um, we usually put together... Um, We've provided a huge folder with all the supporting documentation around the property. Um, we bring their attention to any potential um, moving parts. I like to label, you know, are we are we absorbing a tenancy on this property? Um, you know, what what's really the um, the key factors that clients need to know to make an informed decision if they want to proceed yep. or not. So. Um, Say we get, you know, clients go, yep, awesome. I've got a client that I love working with and he replies just with emojis, like thumbs up. He's like, yep, cool, let's go. Let's let's put it on offer. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Um, but obviously we've built that trust along the journey and um, he's up to his third purchase now, so it's pretty exciting. But um, so when we'll put in, so we get the okay from the client, we then manage also the offer process and then the contract process and then the post contract process as well. So essentially the property selection and the presentation is the fun bit, but it's just the first step in the process for a client in their buying journey. Yeah, cool. So it's, it's really good to, it's really interesting to um to kind of talk about that breakup as well between the definition of the uh, the roles because the analysts um and we're going to have one of our um acquisition analysts on the show so I want to dig into like their role a little bit as well. But the analysts they their entire job is to find the best properties in the market. That's the single job is to diligently maintain our standards of excellence and only pluck out the absolute best of the best of properties in the entire country. But then the acquisition managers, they then have to go, okay, this might be the best property or mm. this might be an amazing property, but does it specifically fit the needs of the portfolio and the goals of my client? And so there's that kind of shepherd um, steward it, uh, stewarding or shepherding uh, of the of the clients to make sure that we're moving into the goals and managing through the acquisition. So it's definitely uh, it's definitely a, a very and thanks for the clarity as well. I think it was a really good breakdown. Now, just you, am I right? And you've purchased yourself. Like you've helped clients acquire like fifty million dollars worth of real estate, haven't you? I have. 
I have, but I've been a bit cheeky. I added my own in there as well. <laughs> so, I <laughs> so I added my own in there. I calculated that the other day. I was like, I, I know I've bought a few, but I'm like, geez, that's that's quite a bit. But um, and I, there's there's team members on my team, and that's like I'm so proud of my team because there's team member that's purchased almost double than what I've done. So really? it's you know it's amazing the amount of knowledge and experiences we've had in buying and it's so funny sometimes we have you know really streamlined buying processes and it's all good property is super neat and clean but then sometimes we've got a few you know few few moving parts as I like to label them um but at the end of the day we're there we're your team and we are there to make the process as streamlined as possible so um yeah it's such a it's a really dynamic role and it's it's so much fun like I, I actually said the other day, I'm like, the moment I'm not having fun, I'll move to something else and dash up. But I'm always having fun, so it's good. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Okay, cool. So you are buying properties for clients or buying properties with clients. You are also uh, leading a team that's doing the same thing. So you are like literally on the coalface, right? There's, there's the acquisition managers and the analysts, uh, probably two, that are two of the teams that are most at the coalface of actually dealing with like what is happening in the market right now and i'm very interested to get your perspective of what is actually happening out there because what can happen as you know is the media says it can can kind of like come up with these different stories and they say this is what's happening here or this is what's happening there but very rarely is it actually you know sometimes there's 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 it is true and sometimes it isn't all right so what's really interesting and what i want to get out of this is i want to try and help people to understand what is actually happening out there so from your perspective buying in how many suburbs we're buying in at the moment across all, all of australia what is what's happening out there? What are the optics you can see from the front line? So what's really great about our team and from the analysts and the acquisition managers is we're not just buying in one place. We're buying in all different markets of Australia. So it's great when we can collaborate and find consistencies from East Coast, West Coast, you know, down in South Australia. And the same thing is happening in all of these locations. And that's what's really interesting. And, and I'll, I'll jump into that in a second, but the noise of the media is could not be further from the truth of what we are experiencing in these locations. So, What do you mean? T- hang on a second. What do you mean? The noise in the media couldn't be further from the truth. Do you understand? <laughs> what do you mean? So it's probably a big, big call, but... It's good. We, I like it. It's good. Know, controversial early on, Lana. Uh, <laughs> so, to, I mean, essentially, so, for example, um, towards the end of late last year, the media was saying property's going to crash by 20%, properties are going to go down, sell, 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 get out now, it's going to be doomsday, all of those, you know, really negative, negative topics. And what we're experiencing is the complete opposite. We are, we are fighting for properties. We're going in market competition is so red hot right now and it's it's consistent through areas of regional Queensland um, even into regional New South Wales we've got areas in South Australia we're buying and also West Coast it is so competitive and we and and what we're experiencing is and we talk about it every week or pretty much every every meeting we go okay how did that how did that offer go? You know, let's give have an update on, you know, this certain property for this particular client. And the acquisition manager go, Oh, outbid, went into a multi-offer, had one shot at it, didn't see value above a certain price point. 
got knocked out, sold 30K higher. And this is happening all the time. This is happening on a daily basis. It's- What's interesting about that is that isn't just happening in one area. It's not like that's happening in Western Australia, yeah. but it's not happening in South Australia or Queensland or any of the- It's happening. Is it fair to say that that is in... So just re- just remind me again, what areas are we buying in at the moment? So we're buying in Western Australia, South Australia, Queensland. Are we currently buying in New South Wales? I can't remember, actually. We've got a few on the list in certain areas in New South Wales. Not a huge amount of client briefs at the moment fit though that category. Um, but we've got a few areas that are still on the list. Yeah. Okay. None, nonetheless, there's a pretty broad spread of locations. Even in those states, there's broad spread of locations, right? So it's not even just like individual pockets in those states. There's probably, you know, half a dozen specifically different areas. And is it fair to say that you're seeing the same consistency, massive amounts of buyer demand, massive amounts of stock shortages, regional short? Is it fair to say that's consistent across all of the locations? You couldn't be more correct. And when we collaborate all of our experiences, and this is what's great buying nationwide, we are piecing together, oh, okay, so in, you know, like regional Queensland, so far north Queensland is experiencing the exact same situation than south coast of Perth. Like it's just, it, and, and the thing is like now we're saying to clients, are like let's just throw our hat in the ring. We have a price point. We, I do not see value above a dollar at this certain level. We've got one shot at it. And that is really what's quite interesting because we, you know, our, our job is to make sure clients are as informed as possible, as possible when we submit an offer because it could go either way. We could be signing contracts in two hours time. And by the end of the day, they've got a property or we're, you know, our offer didn't eventuate and we're back in search mode. So it's really interesting and, and that one of I've got I've got an example which is nuts on this exact scenario. So it was a property in regional South Australia and it was advertised for about four hundred to four thirty. We went in at four forty. So we went in ten K above the high end. I saw I definitely think it was the agent was a bit cheeky. It was a bit it was a bit uh, marketed a bit low, and I said, "Look, these are our comparables from our um, from our competitive market analysis. So we'll not only look at properties that have sold, we'll also adjust that sales price to the current market and what we're seeing in that particular area from a price growth perspective. So, say a property um, went under contract. I think we you discussed this a few weeks ago. Um, say a property went under contract a few mo- three months ago, and it just settled." That settlement date is when that that uh, sales price is transacted and registered, but that's not actually true. So that date is actually three months prior. So we we do what's called um, an adjusted pricing on our CMAs. Um, might be giving away a bit of the secret sauce here. <laughs> no, good. No, this is perfect. No, this is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Get into it. Get into the adjusted pricing on the CMA. Talk to me about right. that. What is a CMA? Great, great question. So it's a comparative market analysis. So it essentially looks at properties that have sold comparable properties, the most comparable from a few things from land size attributes and also internal sizing as well. So you can have, for example, two, three bedroom properties that internally one might be 130 square meters internally, one might be 90 square meters internally. Obviously, we want the larger internal space, you know, depending on offset of price point. 
but we really dig a lot deeper versus, oh, there's three houses in three streets nearby that sold, they're the most comparable. So we really dig a lot deeper into assessing the value or providing that estimate value of where we see a good buy, where we see a good buy. So you get much more detail. You're basically acting like a valuer, right? So you, you are not yeah. only just going, hey, is it, are they nearby sales? Yes or no. Uh, are they the same amount of bedrooms? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. What's the block size? But really digging into like, is this genuinely a comparable or not? And then doing some adjustment on that to get a better understanding of it. Now, what were you saying about the contract date versus the settlement date and doing an adjustment on that and the CMA. Talk to me about that. That's a very interesting thing. So when a property is transacted, so say I buy a property today for 400 grand and I lock in the contract date is, you know, today's the 28th of March. Contract date's 28th of March. I don't settle until the 1st of, or say the 28th of June. So on the 28th of June, that is registered as the sale. So my $400,000 purchase goes through on the 28th of June, saying that at that that date is the date that that price essentially transacted. That's incorrect. The price it transacted was three months prior. And so we're, we're wanting to dig deeper into the time that those prices were essentially locked in and then what movements have happened since that time frame so if price where and with the areas we're buying in are really you know that these markets are you know they're they're amazing when we when we look at the data it's pretty cool but they're areas that are that are growing pretty quickly so each month you could have a three to five percent growth on the property so three months later we go oh okay well that property's worth four hundred thousand well that's actually incorrect because it's essentially nine, you know, could be three months each month. That's nine percent higher in terms of value. So, or you know, I'm just using you know rough figures, but it's it's really interesting that and even and what what we do and part of our the Pam well, I keep saying Pam property acquisition manager <laughs> as part you know we when the analysts and the analysts do a huge amount of work and they they create all of these documents and supporting due diligence on the properties, our job is to pick through them. Like our job is to go, hey, you've used this comp in the CMA. I'm not happy with that because, yes, it's around the corner, but the, it, it, you know, from an interior condition, it's, it might be, you know, far more superior versus our property might be in original condition and we identify that as a value add. So you've got to, you really, obviously you're never going to have a comparable that is 100%, but you want to be pretty close to the mark. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so I just want to crystallize what you were just saying there about the 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 the, the dates, right? And I think that's a really interesting thing, right? So just to kind of crystallize that. So let's say someone's looking, so let's say someone's trying to do this themselves and they're like, okay, I'm going to go buy this house and I want to look for comparable sales in the area to know if I'm, know what price I should pay for this property here. Now, to your point, you're not going to find an exact comparable. Now, you might see the property next door, which is broadly speaking, let's just say it's very similar. Same age, same build, same look, same all of that kind of stuff. And let's say that um, the, the data that you have says the property sold in inverted commas, last week for $400,000. Yeah. Well, it didn't actually sell last week for $400,000. It actually sold somewhere between, you know, probably 45 and 90 days prior to that. And so, in fact, 
the date, if it was $400,000, that it was $400,000 was in fact a few months ago. And so therefore you need to then play through. You need to go, okay, where do we, where do we reverse engineer that date to? When when did they actually go under contract at $400,000? And then how much has the market grown since then? And therefore, how much could I reasonably expect that fair market value is for that asset today, which would be significantly, potentially significantly different from that $400,000. I think that's a big trick that a lot of people miss when they're doing, you know, comparable market analysis, not to mention the level of depth that you guys are doing it, but that simple fact is something that I think a lot of people miss. It's it's really interesting. And also when we put our CMAs together, we also um, contrast them against the auto-generated core logic estimated value. So obviously that's, you know, just an algorithm, but what's quite interesting is CoreLogic default like uses a 90-day rolling average. So it's when we compare them, and this is why we why a property acquisition manager pick holes and make sure if we are happy with this information and if this information makes sense, then we convey that to the clients. So it's interesting. And I always, um, when I'm presenting to a client, will present both and say, hey, this is our estimated value and this is CoreLogic's estimated value. But we are so much more granular on the information that we're presenting and these are the reasons why. And mm, love when, that. You, when you, you know, when, when we present those, those facts, clients are like, oh, that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah, let's, 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 you know, the house next door might have sold for 400, but let's go in at 415. That's fine. That makes sense. And if we're constantly stuck with, nope, the house next door is 400, I'm only paying 400. We're not going to be, you know, we're not putting our clients in the best mindset and the best seat possible. And that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so going going back to um, market activity, buying buying out there at the moment, you said that everything's red hot. It's very hard to buy at the moment. Um, first question is, do you think it's fair to say, and this is, I'd be interested in your opinion, do you think it's fair to say that um, all of our clients who bought in the last 12 months whilst the property market was crashing, do you think it's fair to say or accurate to say that 100% of them would have received or would have seen positive capital growth? Oh, 100%. It's, it's super interesting, isn't it, right? Because it's not even like one or two or three of them. It's like, you know, all of them, which yeah. is it's completely, completely counter to what we're being told is what's going on. The thing is that there's so many factors that are fueling the competitive market. Like there's not just one factor. There are so many things that's happening and each of them are creating this perfect storm of be you know for an investor to to get into the market like that they're all factors so um and there's probably way more than what i've got to discuss but essentially like what's really fueling it is low stock i mean we started 2023 with about nine percent less stock on market than in 2022 so we've already started with a significant less pool of stock and granted you know Gen, like and this is what we said to clients like December Jan it's pretty shit for stock like to be fair if you're gonna sell your house you know I'm not, if I'm selling my house I'm not putting it on the market on Jan one like you know you're gonna wait a few months so it's it's seasonally usually sees a bit of a dip in in stock levels but never to the scale of what we've seen in the past of low stock on market coupled with you know, pretty shit stock, to be honest. Um, and then it really does ramp up towards the end of January. But what was really interesting is people are holding on to their assets. People are not putting them 
on the market. And that is fueling the demand because we don't, you know, there's not a much stock on market. People have that pent up demand for buying. And if, you know, there's so many layers to that first home buyers, people, you know, downsizers, upsizers, investors, we are competing against those three categories, you know, those two other categories of buyers. So it's coupled with, you know, low stock on market, significant amount of people that want to get into the market that people can see through the noise essentially. But also you've got a lot of additional investor activity because of what's happening at the moment with the rental crisis. So people are being very opportunistic to say, hey, you know, vacancy rates are as they have not been, I, I believe that it's been, you know, 20 years since we've been at the, this vacancy rate at the moment. I think we're at um, 0.6% nat- nationwide of vacancy rates. Like that is crazy. It's, 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 I don't think people appreciate just how crazy that is, right? And you hear is, numbers, but you don't until yeah. you until you know what's going on um, and until you see it. Like I, I said to you earlier, like I – was walking down the street on a Saturday night, on Saturday afternoon, and I thought, oh, there must be a warehouse sale on. Like, what, what, I didn't know there was a shop here. What's going on here? It's a one-bedroom apartment. There's 50 people lined up out the front. It's nuts. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, right? And so what people, I think, are missing in the current environment, there's a lot of people who are, you know, scared and nervous and stuff, and interest rates are, interest rates are being going up and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Media says property markets are crashing and so there's a lot of uncertainty out there. But I think what people are missing is the simple fact that we have a housing crisis, right? There are not enough houses for people to live in. That, that, that is the simple fact. Now, all you need to do is go and have a look at other markets where supply has been specifically constrained whilst population has continued to grow. Markets like Singapore and markets like Hong Kong where they they were specifically geographically constrained, they couldn't build anymore. Right? It's too, it's too it's very hard to build more. And so, look at what's happened. They're the most expensive real estate markets in, in in the world. New York is is kind of the same, right? So you've got these like geographically kind of constrained places, and the prices just go through the roof. And so, you know, this it's driving rents through the roof. It's driving prices through the roof. I mean, there's a lot of factors that are that are playing into it. But it's I don't think people appreciate the that kind of like really macro driving force that is going to, like, this but, is not a quick solve. You know, you no. don't just click your fingers and, and suddenly come up with half a million houses or a million houses in the next six months. You, you can't do it. And so I don't think people appreciate that 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 real tailwind that is pushing that forward at the moment. What do you think about that? It's it's really interesting because, yeah, like, as you said, I think we need about a, just to solve the current housing crisis, we need about 180,000 new houses. That's new houses, whether that is configured houses, townhouses, apartments, whatever the mix might be. But that's just to solve the current issue. We've got, I mean, we've got about over 200,000. The estimates for migration for 2023, there's another 200,000 people going to be moving to Australia. Where are they going to go? Where are they going now? Like people are pouring in at the moment. I'm like, where are they going now? They get out of the airport. Where do they go? Like, like where are they coming? You know, I'm, like, yeah, you can't find a place to rent. So, you yeah. know, if a if a local person can't find a place to rent and has a somewhat idea of the market, like, where are these people going to go? And that's that hasn't even happened yet. 
And we're, we're missing out on properties left, right, and center. Like we're every, if we're not in a multi-offer situation, it's great. Like we're like, oh my God, this property's been loaded two days ago and we're in, we're going to buy it. We're going to move quick. But if we're not in a multi, it's rare. And it's, yeah, and, and if you don't, you hear a lot of figures and you hear all these things, but it's really interesting when we're actually seeing it and we're seeing the people missing out. Like I've had, like I've had clients, we've gone, we've missed out about three to four times on a property just because we're getting outbid. Even applying our adjusted price point from assessing the value, we're still missing out because also a lot of people, um, you know, first home buyers and owner occupiers, they buy very emotively. So that you know, they and what what we look at as well, and we we buy owner occupier properties. That's part of our strategy. But we look at you know making sure we're in the school zones, we're near the shops. You know, if I'm an owner occupier and my kids are going to the school around the corner, I don't care how much I have to pay for this house. I need to live here, and I want to live here. And that emotive piece comes into it, and it's really interesting that we 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 really are very data driven. And we, and you know, we do say to clients above the a dollar above this value, it doesn't make sense. We're out, and that's what's really interesting. So, yeah, there's there's so many factors that are fueling this. There's tons of factors fueling it. So I'm interested to know what tips have you got that you could give people? You guys, you guys are obviously working it out. You're obviously successfully <laughs> buying. I mean, we're buying we're buying a significant amount of properties every month. Let's just put it that way, right? Yeah. What tips? What tips have you got? to help people to buy more successfully in the current market? Have you got any kind of tips you could give people? How should people be thinking about it? I do. I've got sort of two sort of categories of tips. So I've got like stock-specific tips, so property-specific tips. So if you're an investor and you're wanting to buy a property, really make sure, like probably apart from the noise and the competitiveness around it, but just make sure that that property is demographically paired to the area you're buying in. So make sure that, you know, you are in the school zones. If there's, uh, you know, don't buy a two-bedroom townhouse when all the other houses are four-bedroom. You know, just make sure you've got that pairing correct and that will also help you understand, okay, I'm, you know, I have to spend in this area, to get into this area, I have to spend 400000 So, right, cool. I'm, and be happy to be go a little bit above that um, once you've found the right type of property, just be very fluid with your pricing to an extent, but be fluid because you want to make sure that yes, you're we're getting a good buy, but we're also not missing out. And then you know, in two to three weeks' time, we're probably going to have to spend even more money on a very similar product. So just be fluid with pricing. Um, also what can really, what we're actually seeing at the moment is don't be afraid of some maintenance. That's, that's another tip. So, I mean, I love properties that are, you know, a few moving parts and, you know, we might have Rubik's cute colored walls and all sorts of things because that, that that's not going to appeal to a lot of people. So a lot of people might go, oh, no, I don't want to buy that. I want to buy something neat and clean down the road. Well, that's awesome because we can get in there. We can get it at a good price. We might not be in a multi-offer situation, and I'll, I'll go through that in a second. But some of the properties that might not look as pretty are sometimes the best. Like they're like a coat of white paint throughout a property 
is can make a world of difference. And when you're an investor, you have to think about, okay, I want to make sure that I am casting that net for a tenant to make that tenant appeal as wide as possible. So really not narrowing down like certain, you know, I've bought, I've bought lots of properties that have got, you know, fire truck red living rooms and yeah, that doesn't appeal to everyone, but a coat of white paint and you've got an instant uplift and you have that tenant um, attractiveness to that, to that property. So that, that's, that's another thing. Um, but in terms of strategies to buy, now this is a big one. So buy fast, that is, that's, that's a key. Buy correctly, but buy fast. I think that's. I was going to say, cause that's like well, a lot of people think, what do you mean buy fast? Is it just mean like quickly buy anything? You know, like how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you buy fast and also make sure you don't make a mistake? So that's another, so you've got to get your pairing of the property correct. Once you know what fits in a certain area and once you've found, so that's pretty much the first step to make sure, right, I'm going to make sure I'm buying, like, because you can get into a suburb in a townhouse for half the price, but if that suburb is awful of families and, you know, they've got three plus kids, you're not going to have the best growth for one and you're not going to have the the most tenant, um, you know, you're not going to have as many applications to that particular property. So that's the first thing. But buying fast is once you know what you want to buy, move quick. Be informed. So make sure you're informed on all of the due diligence surrounding the property, but you want to move as quick as possible. And a strategy that's really helped our team be able to get clients, you know, being able to win these multi-offer situations is technically the first offer on a property, it's not a multi-offer. So the first, you want to be the first offer, therefore it turns the second, third and subsequent offers into multi-offers. The benefit of that is you can get another shot at presenting you know, either increasing or changing our offer. And that's- That is a good tip. I hate multi-offers. That is a good tip. It's it's real. And obviously you want to be as as informed as possible before you make that decision. But technically that's the best seat that you want to be in. Because so a good agent, and not all agents will do this, but because we've got off, dealt with many- um, but a real a good agent will go, great, thanks for your offer. Um, I've got it open uh, on, you know, Saturday morning. I'll let you know if it's accepted or not. And they should, keyword there, should come back to us and say, hey, it wasn't a multi-offer when you submitted your offer. It's now turned into a multi-offer situation. So I'm giving you the opportunity to adjust your offer if you wish to or if you want to leave it as is, that's not a problem. So having that second chance at potentially increasing our offer, you know, being a little bit malleable on the conditions of that offer as well. So sometimes it's not only the price point that is the offer that wins. I've been outbid on on pricing that's been cheaper than mine but has been a cash offer. And we can't compare with that because I would never, ever put a client into a position that we are buying a property with no no finance or inspection conditions surrounding the purchase. So we obviously can't compare with cash offers, but also that person's taking on a lot of risk. So it, it is that offset. Um, but yet, it, 
you want to be in that seat because that's the best seat for that situation. So buying fast but buying informatively would be my tip. Good, good. That is a that is a good tip. What else you got? There's, there's a lot. So in terms of what we also, from, from our analyst perspective, we sort of label it as overpriced gems. <laughs> now, this is when a seller is, I want my 2021 pricing, my March 2021 pricing. So do I. I want my March 2021 pricing. And I'm not budging. That's it. I'm not changing. I want my 500 grand for my $400,000 property. What's really interesting is we watch those properties and we watch them sit on the market because they're overpriced. It's not going to val up. All of, you know, all of that, all of those certain situations. We watch them and we watch them trickle down. And the benefit of that is, I mean, we're being opportunistic from someone's certain scenario, but also you've got to be malleable with the market. I would love to sell my house for my t- March 2021 valuation. Do you think I can? No. No. <laughs> so, and, but some people are very, some sellers are very, very stuck in that framework. And we, the benefit of us is in our analyst team and they're constantly trolling properties nationwide. And we see these properties that are, that are sit, that sit on the market. They're on the market for two months, three months, four months. And what we see is they gradually drop. They're dropping 15, 20. Then they'll just have no price in them at all. And then the best, you want all offers, all offers invited. That's the, that's, that's where we want. <laughs> that's what we want to see. <laughs> and then all of us are like, ooh, let's go. It is fine. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's like the sea, we call it the seagulls. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. We're, we're like, that's hilarious. It's, 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 yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a tough one though, right? Because like, you know, I I know people who, you know, who were preparing to sell their property at the peak of the market, and that was going to be their that was going to be their big, you know, that was going to be their big payday and was going to set them up, and then the market turned before they could sell it, and then the prices went down because of course some markets have gone down, yeah, right, and so and the market went down, and then they're going, but I want that price that it was there. It's like yeah, but it won't. That's not the price now. Uh, it's so it's dropped by you know. Mind, though, that's <laughs> yeah, totally. And so it's really interesting, right? Because I um, you know, I've personally given advice to to some people that are in in that specific situation. And as it was, you know, as it came off the top, right? This was in a high price suburb, right? It's in a it's an in in a, a, a more expensive market. As it started to come off the top, I was going sell it now. And they're like, well, but it's not as it's not it's not going to sell for what it was. And oh, I want to get that price. And I was like, was- no, 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 sell it now because you want to cash out. And now it's actually gone down so far. Oh no! <laughs> right? then it's like, yeah, don't don't do that now. Like now, it, it, now you're going to have to wait. Yeah, now you're just going to have to wait for it to come back up again, which could take a couple of years, right? And so, so you, you sort of get these people that because they weren't malleable in their approach, to, they they get stuck for longer, and so then they have all this other additional opportunity cost along with it as well. Speaking about prices. What do you think? And what about what about um, buyers kind of being a little bit more malleable in how they're thinking about their own price points? Now, sometimes going up in price isn't an option. So, but I, I know that there's buyers who are like, I want to buy a property that's say between four fifty and five fifty. Let's just say, for example. What about um, you know? Do you have any kind of thoughts about how people can think about expanding that a little bit more to maybe target different markets as well? Because sometimes also going down is a good option. 
You know, you might be like, hey, I want to buy a property between it's between four fifty or five fifty, or or the acquisition manager and, and and you know might have said, hey, this is a good price point. But then as the market evolves, maybe three fifty to four fifty is a better price point, or maybe if people can stretch to six hundred instead of five fifty. You know, like, what you, have you got any kind of thoughts about that? Yeah, so this is this is really interesting. So we've actually implemented um, a, a we usually implement a hundred thousand dollar searching window. Now we like to now go a little bit lower and a little bit higher than that. So the benefit of that is we you know if a client can go okay, I can afford from three hundred to four hundred. There's a huge amount of noise in that space. Like that is really where a lot of the competitiveness um, in the market. That's all concentrated to that price point, to that price bracket, sorry. So if we can go a bit outside of that noise, that's going to put us in a way better position. So if we can go, okay, client, um, let's, okay, you're between 300 and 400. Let's, let's try and tweak that a bit. Let's maybe, if we can, and if we can't, that's not a problem at all, but let's try and tweak it a bit. Let's do 280 to 420. Just, just that the little, you know, either side, just moving the goalpost slightly will allow us to assess further opportunities. And what's really interesting is the above that noise bracket between 300 and 400, tipping over into the 425s, even up to the 450s, if we can. And I know it's very conscious because obviously with interest rates increasing, our serviceability is going down. So I know it's very, it's a heightened topic at the moment, but if we can squeeze that, that little bit extra can sometimes allow us to assess those over, those overpriced gems. So if we've got a property that's been on the market at 480 and it's dropped to 460 and now it's all offers invited and we've got a client's max at 450, we can go, hey, Let's lowball. Let's just see what happens. Let's have that conversation because you can only be told no. And that's fine. That's cool. But hey, at least we've assessed it and we can we can apply that to client situations. And sometimes it works out really, really well. Love that. Love that. I love that. This is this has been such a good episode. There is so much gold in here. I've got one final question I want to ask you. It's going to be pure speculation, right? <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think is going to happen with interest rates this year? They're definitely going to plateau. So it's it's look every conversation that um, we have with clients, you always get onto this topic. So yeah. look, it's going to. I, I do believe that a lot of people, um, you know, the mortgage cliff is is coming, and it, that's just that's a fact. There's you know, a th- I believe there's like a third of mortgages that are on um, fixed rates and they all roll off towards the end of this year. Oh, but no, nah, but Lana, I'm going to challenge you on that. They said that that was going to happen in February and then and then they said that was going to happen in June and, you know, like it keeps changing. Okay. I actually don't. I, that that kind of like cliff that we're apparently going to drive off, just it keep, the date keeps changing. So I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you. Uh, true. No, that's true. Obviously, I mean, you no matter how you sort of label it, there's there is a bunch of people that yeah. are in that bucket. So 100%. whether that's happening now, whether that I mean, I am one of those people. Like my interest rate rolls off in December and we're actively now implementing a strategy in order to make sure that we can um, you know, be able to pay our mortgage. And 
you know, that that's just what you have to do. If you don't bend, you break. So you have to make sure, you know, plan ahead and, and be have an understanding of what's going on. Most clients don't even know their interest rate. Unless you're fixed, you're aware of it. Most clients don't even know. So it's really important to be as informed as possible. But to answer your question, where do I see prices going or the market going in 2020? Pure speculation, pure speculation. I believe the moment interest rates drop, we are going to see another boom in property because money is going to be a lot cheaper and there's a lot of people on the sidelines that are just waiting for that opportunity and what I'm te- what I'm saying to clients now is, and any investors listening, if you are thinking about buying an investment property, and you can get one, but <laughs> that that's also the another element to it. But do it now because the moment money gets cheaper, we're gonna we're already in very competitive market space. The moment people get cheaper, there's going to be another layer of competition to come through. So. And also, we actually might see quite a synthetic price growth for a certain amount of time because it's not that assets are more, are, 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 you know, increasing in value. It's people have more money to pay for them. So that's another element yeah. to it as well. So it's going to be interesting, um, but I do. I think that that ethos of of at the moment interest rates get a bit cheaper or the whiff of interest rates dropping, I think it's going to really create some some additional competition for sure. 100%. You see that happen in the stock market because the stock market has a little bit more uh, volatility than, but like as soon as people think interest rates are going to come down, stock mm. market goes up. That's a little bit more reactive. But the same thing is like as soon as people can see that it's going to happen, there's going to be people that are going to start jumping off the fence and then it's just going to keep building and building and building from there. So, Lana, this has been awesome. Appreciate your insights. It's been super, it's been jam-packed full of value. I've loved this. So, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. See you soon. Thanks. Thank you.